Before we get stuck into today's episode, we are available on 10 different podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, releasing a new show every Monday morning. We are the only relationship podcast on the planet that interviews the most qualified relationship coaches, marriage counsellors, authors on love, and psychologists around the world. Alongside the amazing coaches I get to interview, collectively we bring to life a foolproof relationship operation manual for you, the listener, that endeavours to help every woman in the world thrive in their romantic connections. If you've had enough of one toxic connection after another, then hit the subscribe button or the plus button to be the first to know when a new episode has been released. You know, ladies and gents, every now and then I bring on a guest that is a little bit different to what we normally do. So, you know, generally we talk about relationships and we're debunking relationships, whether it's breakups or long-term relationships or toxic relationships. But, you know, when Doug approached me, I couldn't really say no, because I think it's such an interesting topic that we need to talk about today. So, Dr. Doug Garland is a practiced orthopedic surgeon in Southern Southern California and has been for 37 years. He's also a clinical professor of orthopedic surgery at the University of Southern California and published more than 110 peer-reviewed scientific articles and has experienced firsthand tall poppy syndrome. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So Doug, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be here, Amanda. So we had a really, really interesting conversation away from the podcast initially, and we spoke about what actually made you go into this form of research, because this is what you're now practicing full-time, isn't it? Yes. I'm retired from the private practice of orthopedic surgeon, and, and in my spare time I decided to study the tall poppy syndrome since it's relatively unknown in America. Mm. So why is the poppy the particular flower used to describe the term tall poppy syndrome then? What's its origins? Well, the original description in Herodotus in ancient Greek was actually the heads of a a wheat field. And that's important because when you think back in ancient Greece, Socrates was tall poppy. So the syndrome goes clear back to ancient Greece. Uh, Livy described the tall poppy syndrome in ancient Rome. He was the main Roman historian. And he actually described the tall poppy syndrome using the poppy as the metaphor. And at that time, he described uh, King Tarquin the early Rome was founded in 750 BC, and the last king was Tarquin the Proud. And his son, Sextus, went to Gavi, which, the neighbor, which was the neighboring town, and he governed it, but he was doing poorly at governing. So he sent a messenger back to his father, uh, questioning how he could govern. And his father went out to a field of poppies and leveled the tall poppies in the field. And the messenger then went back to Sextus and told him what had happened. And Sextus figured out that the best thing to do then was to kill all the people in town who were against him. 
and then he could rule effectively. So in fact, that's what happened. So that's the original description back to ancient Rome, and that included the poppies. And of course, we have one of our best tall poppies, Julius Caesar, was later tall poppied after uh, the kingdom ended and the Republic of Rome was established. We'll come back to some stories and anecdotes around, you know, some famous well-known people that have been tall poppied and why it happens and, and sort of how it looks like. But tell us first about your experience with tall poppy syndrome. Why did you leave your field? I had um, been uh, in private practice in orthopedics in Southern California, but I also uh, worked at a rehabilitation, one of the more prominent rehabilitation centers in in our country and, and very well known and respected throughout the world. At that particular time, I was running a spinal, the spinal cord injury unit, which is one of the largest in the country. We had 100 beds, which is a really large unit of having that many spinal cord injury patients. I was also president of our American Academy of Spinal Injury Association. And I was at a meeting, and I was with a friend of mine from Australia. And I was making preparation to come to Australia to visit your six rehabilitation centers there. And we were firming that up. I was going to spend a week at each one. And when I got back to my office, uh, I had a note on the door which uh, stated that I had been moved down the hall. Well, I was in the premier office with the big corner room and a window, and, and I had been moved down to a cubby hole. So I went home and told my wife what happened. And I'd been there 30 years and had a university appointment and was fairly preeminent in the field. And she said, you know, they've, they've moved your cheese, that your time is over there. And she knew immediately about what was happening to me. And, you know, the kind of the more typical thing is to dig in and fight and try and hold your line and keep your position and keep the office. But instead, uh, from her wisdom, I went back the next day. I cleaned out my office. I threw all my research away, uh, all the articles about our service, left the my key on the desk and walked out. Wow. And just in, I ended that chapter in my life. Uh, I, my wife had said, why don't you take Fridays off, I'll take Fridays off. She was the working nurse, and we'll enjoy L.A., which is hard to do during the weekends because everybody else enjoys L.A. Mm. So that's what we did. It was really a wonderful idea on her part, and then I just finished my private practice out. But in the meantime, I had called my friend in Australia and explained that I wouldn't be coming and why I wouldn't be coming. And she said... My goodness, you've been tall poppy. This is a short ad break. A uh, quick question. Do you run a small business that could potentially help empower women? Then I'd love to hear from you. The Empowered Women's Podcast is now taking sponsorship applications. So see my email link in the show notes below. Pitch us your business and we can set up a time to chat and I can run you through how it all works. Okay, back to the show. Well, that was the first time I'd ever heard of that expression. Yeah. And, and it was really weird. I had her say it over again and try and explain it to me. So I found, I 
felt the whole thing was quite strange what had happened to me, but I also thought it was strange that I hadn't heard of it or didn't know anything about it or why it wouldn't be in America. So I let it go at that time, Mm. finished my practice, and then when I got into my retirement and had plenty of time, I decided to research the subject and figure out if it was in America, if it wasn't in America, why wasn't it in America? So I started about a five to 10 year journey of exploring uh, the tall poppy syndrome in the world and Mm. looking for it in America as well. Was it like a steady decline in the workplace for you or was it just an instantaneous where inadvertently demoting you? Uh, I was upset about the whole thing at first, but, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't uh, dwell on it. I, I, it was just in the back of my head, and and I wondered, you know, if I had made some people mad or I'd I'd done something. Um, you know, it's it's easy to rub somebody wrong, but I had been there thirty years and actually been quite popular. It was my fourth service, and the the person that I trained under after I had finished my orthopedic residency I trained there I did a fellowship and the person I did my fellowship under eventually worked his way up through chief of the surgery service and then he became the CEO of the hospital so I actually had uh, kind of the run of the hospital because uh, we were such good friends and I started my first service and I became kind of a cleanup guy. If if another service needed cleaning up, then I would go run that and then go to the next one. So over that 30 years, I ran four different services. So I felt, you know, that I had done a good job and I published a lot and was well known. But he retired, which is what was really the genesis of all of it. And after you've been there 30 years and and things changed, and people in power changed as well. So the underlying current was I was a volunteer, and I wasn't under the payroll of the hospital, which meant I didn't have to do the rules that everybody else had to in the hospital. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so I think there was always um, some people maybe holding a grudge or some envy bad envy that, that uh, I was a little different and I thought I was special because I didn't have to do all the rules that they had to do because of employment. And so I, I think I think anytime that happens, there's somebody from the outside that comes in, uh, especially if he has the leadership role and he's not gone through the steps one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, to be ten and be the top of the rung, and that you just kind of have an appointment um, by the grace of the CEO of the hospital that you're naturally going to rub somebody wrong. So I kind of assumed that's what happened and didn't bother me. It wasn't, it wasn't what we're going to talk about, I think, a little later, what drives the tall poppy to be um, cut down, the, uh, I thought I had done a good job and tried to stay out of people's way and help people. We, for example, uh, use any service that I was on, I had a waiting list of people that wanted to come study under me. 
to include all the therapists in the hospital. So it wasn't that that list had had uh, dwindled or that I had done something bad with one of the members of my team. So, you know, my slate was relatively clean. So I didn't waste a lot of time um, losing any sleep over it, but it was still in the back of my head that something like that had happened. Yeah, okay. So what's the mindset, what's the emotional mindset of the tall poppy cutter? Well, the there, I actually broke when I did my research on it. I studied mostly Australia because, in the English speaking language, Australia it's kind of your one of your national pastimes, and the most in our literature has been written in Australia. Yeah, and your your listeners probably know, but envy is divided into two groups. Good envy is when you emulate somebody. Envy is coveting what somebody else has. It also sometimes involves destroying their happiness if it's real, if the envy is bad envy and really bad. But basically it's coveting some something someone else has, usually some desirable thing or trait. And in your society, it's very egalitarian and if somebody was a tall poppy, you would emulate it to try and be like them. If you can't be like them and have a certain hostility towards them, then you want to cut them down. And that's bad envy, and it's frequently found in people with low self-esteem. Mm. And Norm, Norman Feather, your great social psychologist there, did a lot of studies uh, to prove this point. It, dry, it lights up a special area in, in the brain uh, kind of known, it's right next to the pleasure center actually, but uh, envy uh, hits this one spot in the brain. So the most common envy or the most common emotion was bad envy. Now the second um, thing that he would describe would be uh, the true tall poppy, the person that is special for whatever reason, uh, why is he cut down? It's, he just uses the term egregious activity. And I went further than that. I wanted to know what the egregious activity was. So I studied tall poppies mostly in America. Um, you know, we have probably by our meritocracy and our money and Hollywood and sports and things, we have a lot of tall, true tall poppies in America. We also have a lot of tall poppy syndrome. It's still unrecognized in our country. Mm. But I studied why people got cut down. And number the number one reason was pride or what we call hubris, H-U-B-R-I-S. And pride, you know, is also it's all emotions have a good and a bad side. And there is, you know, like your home or your car, pride of ownership. You and yourself, you want to look nice. You know, you want to buy nice clothes. So that's normal, and that is a that's that's good pride. Um, bad pride is, uh, as I mentioned, is hubris, uh, often found in narcissistic people. But the number one reason for people, as I did my studies, was pride, and then it was followed by greed and lust. Uh, Feather didn't describe that. He just described the egregious behavior, and he described then the behavior in the tall poppy that, or in the cutter, that the cutter has 
justification to cut somebody down because of their egregious activity. <clears throat> so I took the studies a lot further. I, I looked further at the behavior of the cutter, and lo, not lo and behold, but kind of what one would think, anger is another reason to cut somebody down. So if you uh, are mad at somebody and they're better than you are and you can't be as good as they are, then the anger drive and kind of revenge then wants you to cut them down and, and bring them back down to your size. Mm. So bad anger is, anger is good and, and bad too. Good anger is actually when s somebody does something to you, you can focus your mind, really concentrate and do something good if you wanted to. Most of the people don't want to. I mean, if I use the excuse here in our, I mean, whether it's soccer, any sports venture, if, if like a basketball player drives around you, the, you should become angry about that. And good anger would be you're going to practice harder and practice your footwork so you can't do it. Bad anger would be you, trip, you stick your foot out and trip him when he goes by or give him an elbow or fouling or something. So then, of course, if he continues to do that, then you're going to seek revenge. Uh, that's the worst thing that can happen because there's a saying, if, if you seek revenge, dig two graves, because in the end, uh, you're going to be worse off for it because the energy it takes you to take somebody down usually expends way more energy than the energy they put on you. So oh, that's also karma as well, and this is what people forget. You know, it's all yeah. fine and well to try and chop a tree down, but there's going to yeah. be there's going to be consequences around that. Yes. Well, Will Will Smith, our famous recent Academy Award show, the slap theoretically America says was heard around the world, where Chris Rock made the joke about his wife, and then he went up and slapped Chris Rock. Well, Chris Rock kind of got tall poppy, but in the end, he won because Chris Rock or Will Smith became angry and then he kind of sought revenge. And not only then did he, the slap was okay. It was kind of an immediate reaction, but he kept hollering at him after he went back to his chair. So the court of public opinion picked Chris Rock. They thought he won the battle and that, that actually Will Smith was the bad behavior guy. And that turned out to be true as you might know. He, was banned from the Academy for for 10 years, and he's lost some of his movie contracts since that happened. I'm just so not sure why. Yeah, look, I mean, because there's obviously talk about Jada cheating on him with the son's friend or something of that nature, and, like, he obviously was triggered by Chris's comment because something was obviously lurking behind closed doors, and Chris Rock has obviously pissed him off somehow, and, you know, but... How did he not think that was going to have bad results, like for his career? That's that's essentially ending part of his career. Well, well, but you know the the comedian. Uh, I, I mean, on it's good and bad. On one hand, he's singling. I mean, when when um, when the comedian does his set, it's all written out. I mean, he, fought, he he writes the script of, of the show. Mm. And then the ad lib is he sees usually friends. I mean, usually if he acknowledges you, you're a tall poppy. Mm. 
But but the price you're going to pay is he has to make fun of you. So that's that's kind comment? of how the joke. What was what was Chris's comment to Will? Uh, because I I saw it flying around. I can't remember what was actually said. But do you remember what Chris Rock had said to Will Smith? No, not in the aftermath. He had made fun of his wife Sarah. Um, there was a movie a few years ago about one of the the stars in that show had shaved her head. And so that was the reference that Chris Rock made to his wife about her shaving her head and was she going to be that in a movie similar to the one that had that woman with the shaved head. Hmm. So it was an acknowledgement, but it turned out, as some jokes do, not to come over well. And theoretically, if you watch the film, Rick, uh, Will Smith originally laughed, but then he looked at his wife and he saw that she wasn't laughing. So that's what kind of triggered the the events that followed. So the wow. whole thing was very unfortunate, but anger drove it. So mm. the last thing that I looked at in people was laziness because let's say you're in your in your neighborhood and your neighbor has a better car than you do. So there, you can do safe things, you can improve yourself, you can do overtime. There's things that you can do to improve yourself if, if you think you want a car like that. And yeah. some people are just too lazy to do that. So I th- thought that uh, laziness was also an excuse to cut people down. It's just very easy to be go negative than it is to go positive. So at that time, it turned out to be quite interesting because I had identified three negative emotions, uh, bad envy, bad anger, uh, laziness, or sloth, S-L-O-T-H, in the cutter. And on the tall poppy side, I identified pride, lust, and greed. And that's six out of the so-called seven deadly sins. The only deadly sin that wasn't involved was gluttony, eating too much. Yeah. So I, I found it, it turned the whole thing of the tall poppy syndrome really looking at it differently than your country had looked at it and Feather had looked at it. I had identified this emotional set of behavior in the cutter and in the um, tall poppy. And then I thought, you know, it's still a very subjective thing because your tall poppy may not be my tall poppy. And you don't even have to be a tall poppy to be tall poppy. So I then had to break it down into what I call peer-to-peer tall poppy or just happening in your family, in your place of work, in your neighborhood and public tall poppy where there are really true tall poppies. Mm. And then I had to, just as we're talking about Will Smith, I had to bring in the viewer's bias and see what the viewer's makeup was. So when I tweet about what I do now, mostly as I look at, at newspaper articles And if I see an example of the tall poppy syndrome, then I tweet that article out and I try and give the behavior of the cutter, 
the behavior of the tall poppy and also the behavior of the reporter. So the reporter has, has a bias as well. So I try and evaluate uh, from three points of view. And when you look at the whole syndrome that way, it, you really grow as a person because it's a study of emotions and you're looking through the window, but in the same time, it sort of causes you to reflect on yourself and look into the mirror and see what your own behavior is, mm. whether it's in the tall poppy syndrome or how you're behaving to whatever you've just witnessed, which happened in the Will Smith. It was, I mean, I could have gone on for a month on the behavior of the people who commented on Will Smith, whether it was pro or con, and what their, I felt their particular bias was in the situation. Mm. So it kind of goes in a big circle, but it, it, um, it really grew from what I learned about Australia, which had become my sort of base and studying what Feather had. Yeah, it's pretty big here in Australia. Well, we will get to that. Um, what I want to know is what are some of the characteristics of a tall poppy? Well, so I actually did a... When I wrote the first draft of the book, I, about a third of the book was how, how to become a tall poppy. Mm. And, you know, a tall poppy can be a good athlete, can be a good actor, can be, can be a good CEO. They're all, they're all very different. But in the end, um, the traits of all tall poppies turn out to be similar. Tolstoy said, you know, all good families are the same but all bad families are different. And I sort of found that in, in when I was studying tall poppies and they all were very similar. And if I read one book on an athlete on how to be a good athlete and then ran a, read a book on how to be a good CEO, they were very similar. So I thought, well, in fact, there's about 10,000 10, self-help books published each year, whether it's how to be a good cook or how to be, how to exercise, how to eat. So I, I thought that I really shouldn't be in that field because there's so many others in it, but I had distilled it down to one thing. In order to be a tall poppy in my realm, you only have to serve, meaning, you know, whether it's mankind, the environment, um, anything that uh, you help each other. And if you did that, I mean, if you think of Mother Teresa never made a nickel, uh, she served mankind, uh, that's all you have to do to be a tall poppy. And if you can do that, you're in good shape. And <clears throat> what do you think is the tall poppy's downfall? Like, why are they, why are they seen as a target? Well, I think uh, I'm in... You know, in America, um, our, 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 our culture is very different. You know, your culture started from, it was a penal colony for England. And it was the prisoner mentality and everybody the same. And your egalitarian culture came from that. And it's very easy for you to stay in that. 
kind of lame, we say in America. Mm. And it's very similar also in the Nordic countries. They actually have the law of Jante, J-A-N-T-E. It's actually 10 commandments, and you just have rules on how to grow equivocally and be the same as everybody else. And so the sameness is to protect you. The American culture is very different that, than that. Our, our culture is based on individualism, not the Celtic individualism, but the right to happiness. And we, our system is very meritocracy, meaning that, you know, if you work hard, you have the ability to move up the next ladder of success and gain what we call the American dream. So in our, in our culture, I decided that it was because of our competitiveness, which I relate back to dueling, which started in the 15th century. And we, we really practiced that in America, and we practiced that every day at work, every day in school. I mean, I, I worked hard to get into college. I worked hard to get into medical school. I worked hard to get my residency. I worked hard to get my practice. I worked hard to publish articles. So every time the, there's this duality of you're always competing with somebody else and there's always gonna be a winner and a loser. And when you set up a system like that, there's gonna there's usually not gonna be happiness because you you achieve something, uh, you feel you've lost something, and so that that causes you to lose self-esteem, and then how are you gonna gain that back? Well, the easiest way is to cut the other person down. So the the strangest thing happened at the conclusion of my book. And my observational study, I felt that America was more ripe with the tall poppy syndrome than any other country in the world. And still, in spite of that, it remains unrecognized, which is, to me, very fascinating. But, you know, I started with ancient Greece, and I reviewed almost every country in the world that I found examples of the tall poppy syndrome in each aspect of the world, in each time frame of the world, uh, in, the, in almost every culture. Uh, most cultures have words for the tall poppy syndrome or other metaphors. In Japan, it's the uh, proud nail or the tall nail gets pounded down. And in um, Holland, for example, it's the tall tree captures all the wind human emotion and a natural part of us. And then, you know, the other thing which we need to talk about is schadenfreude. Uh, schadenfreude is a German word. The Germans are quite interesting how they grow their vocabulary. They start with one word, and if they want to increase the vocabulary, they, they usually just add another German word to it. And if they want to change that word, then they add another German word to that. So there may be three words or three ideas in one word. So schadenfreude is two words, uh, means harm and joy. And so 
the meaning is is that somebody gets joy from somebody else somebody else is falling down or pain mm. and that usually is the endpoint of the tall poppy syndrome people here know a little bit about schadenfreude i mean if you go to a movie the movies are driven by schadenfreude you know you i mean our old western movies here where the guy in the black hat gets shot at the end of the movie and and goodwill reigns and the law is, is restored and that gives a sense of satisfaction and it came from the other person being killed or going to jail or something. Mm. And so you walk out of the movie theater feeling wonderful. And so our whole entire Hollywood uh, movie industry is based on schadenfreude. But the step before the schadenfreude most commonly is the tall poppy syndrome. So uh, Flower also recognized this. That was one of his uh, other contributions was discussing schadenfreude and identifying it also as being driven by bad envy and it lightens schadenfreude in his studies it lights up the same area in the brain that that the cutting somebody down that the tall poppy syndrome lights up so and the two emotions are pretty much just the same emotion it's just a continuation of that emotion that you and, and that's what i said the our our definition in america of, of bad envy is coveting somebody else's um something that they have that we want that sometimes is not enough so they also frequently want to destroy their happiness mm. and that's the schadenfreude part of it so and they don't and even when the definitions come about they don't discuss what i call the clinical aspect of it which is the schadenfreude but that's what uh, when you look at a definition term of it at least in our our definitions here is is actually both kind of both components of tall poppy syndrome and the actual schadenfreude so they they i don't say go necessarily go hand in hand but they're frequently associated with each other why is um why is tall poppy syndrome aside from what you mentioned earlier in australia given our culture based on a a, a prisoner mentality um Extending on that, why is it so bad in Australia compared to other countries? Are we are we kind of at the forefront of tall poppy syndrome around the world? Yes, you're. you're there was this uh, study. I there's always studies every year. Who, who who's the fattest nation? You know who's the happiest nation? Which the Scandinavian countries usually end up as the most happy people on earth. Uh, so every, I don't know if it's every year, but it, there's frequently, you know, there's, I mean, just like we com compete in our family. I mean, there's world competition. It's kind of silly in many ways, but Australia almost invariably ends up as one of the most envious country, countries in the world, almost yeah. always number one. And once again, if you really think of the, of the, mentality of the person in prison you have theoretically you have the same uniform you have the same shoes 
everything is exactly the same. And if somebody has a toothbrush, for example, that, that you don't have a toothbrush, you can't brush your teeth, it drives the other prisoners crazy. Mm. So I, I, think, uh, I think it is that uh, rather rigid um, penal mentality that, that your country came from, why, why uh, envy is so prominent. Our, our envy is the same, but it's, our culture is different. Uh, as I mentioned, we and and we have a, you know, unfortunately, I, I mean, I say unfortunately, but for example, our, you know, there's such a discrepancy between what a worker makes in America versus the CEO of a company, for example. So, so like Japan, they only, they only, very few of the CEOs in Japan make more than a million dollars. And in America, it's nothing for the averages CEOs pay is around 15 million. And it's not out of character for a CEO to make maybe 50 or eight. Last year, the highest paid CEO was $80 million. How much? So 80 million American a- dollars. 80, 80, 80, yes. What company was that for? Do you know? was a banking company in New York City. I mean, the big money is usually going to be in banking and in um, high finance of some sort in New York City. Mm. And, you know, our, our movie stars and our ball players, you know, they, they make uh, $40 million a year. So a CEO thinks, you know, I, I run, I have 50,000 people working for me. I, just, I deserve, once again, deserving us. I deserve if an athlete can make forty million, and he's just an individual. Mm. Uh, I should be able to make forty million, and there, it's hard to argue against that. Absolutely. I mean, if, you, if you if you're the CEO of Amazon and you have two hundred thousand people working for you, whatever they have, mm. um, maybe maybe it's right. But I try not to go there too much. I. I think that I think that is too much inequality, and I think that can gender bad envy. I mean, in the end, it, it engenders good envy too, because somebody may want to work that hard and try to be a CEO, maybe for the greed. But but in the end, you know, tall poppies are good for everybody. It's good for you. I mean, it makes you. It should make you emulate them. And it's a means of bettering yourself. Hmm. Tall poppies are good for any country. I mean, it's this discovery of science. I mean, the world revolves in the end around tall poppies. It's just when they they do their egregious activities that things begin to fall apart. But, what do you mean by uh, just just for the average person? What do you mean by egregious? What does it actually mean? Well, it's hard to know anymore because, um, for example, in America, we're, we're having all these, uh, our environmental movement, for example, and you can't drive a car. It's got to be an electric car. So uh, somebody, some Hollywood star that buys a car that gets 10 miles, you know, a big limo that gets 10 miles an hour, in our culture now, that's an egregious act because he's. Oh, what I mean, Doug? Sorry, egregious. What's the actual meaning of egregious? If you were to Google egregious, um, 
most people probably wouldn't understand what it means. What does it mean? And then obviously it would make more sense in context. Uh, I would sit uh, without looking it up in front of you. I'd have to say it's just some sort of really bad behavior. Gotcha. An unaccepted behavior from the norm. Whatever our norm is, our norm may be different than yours, but yeah. it's, it's uh, behavior that's not acceptable. Gotcha. Within any culture, I think. Yeah. And not good behavior. It's, it's, it's unacceptably negative behavior uh, in any culture. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of one of those things. No good thing can come from egregious behavior. Mm, okay. Now I understand. I can't say I've really heard of that word before. I'm pretty smart, but I'm not that smart, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, it's just like somebody thinks they they look really good, and they just have this flashy outfit on, and it's just it's really kind of egregious. It's poor taste, you know. It's just it's just not right. Mm. So there's a certain gut feeling to it, and that's what in our in our so-called woke woke environment in America that that even if you're Damn you know, if you have a private jet now, that's kind of egregious behavior and enough to cut somebody down mm, because mm. they're harming the environment. So somebody like uh, Leo DiCaprio, one of our famous movie stars, he always prided himself on driving a Prius, you know, when before the electric cars came out. Mm. Yeah, but in the meantime, he's jetting around the world in his private jet to... Mm go to con to the film festival or whatever he was doing. So he he kind of was cut down as being two-faced that he was an environmentalist on one hand, but on the other hand, he was quite the opposite because he was burning more CO2 in, in one trip than any car driver would do in their lifetime. So it's like you can't have it both ways. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know what? <sighs> I'm just one of those people, and I think because I'm sort of, I, I would consider myself a tall poppy. The problem is when you're in the public eye, and I myself am in the public eye, so I know what it's like that if you try and brand yourself in one way, people take it so literally that if you sway the other way, you get so heavily judged for it. It's like, of course he's got a private jet. The guy's a million, multi-millionaire. Like, what did you want him to do? Like, put on some wings and fly to the comedy festival? Like, it doesn't... For me, I well, find it so I comical do. because I just don't take myself so seriously and I'm sure a lot of people in, say, that are tall poppies are the same where it's like, yeah, I'm, I see myself supporting this cause but that's not all I am. I do other things too. And when you've got people that are like, why do you do that? I thought you were about this but now you're about that. And it's like, well, just lighten up. Like, lighten up, you know, and at a very simple basic level, I kind of look at that and go, well, I think you're allowed to be multiple things when you're a tall poppy. And people try and box you in because they're like, well, if you're going to stand for this, this is all you should be about now. Sorry, but what gives you the right to do all these other things? And I just think, why are you boxing tall poppies in this this box? Or it's like if, if – it's almost like saying, well, in order for you to have a right to be there, right, 
It's just like, yeah, you can't be outside of that box or else, boom, we're going to cut you down. Can you relate to that? Going back to your career and what you were doing, did you feel like you were sort of boxed into a particular category and maybe you went out of that box and therefore you were just cut down or was it just because you were, you you chose to volunteer in the hospital but you were given what others saw as special treatment? No, I think it was a special treatment, but I can tell so that, I mean, I can help you on your what you're describing. So that's actually why I then had to study the behaviors of the cutter because you're exactly right. You get, I, I mean, there's a certain, just like Chris Rock, he has, he's to find his character of who he is and how he behaves. And he should be given a certain tolerance for cutting people down during his, his routine. And then if he ventures out of that, that's when he gets cut down. So you're right. Once you have a persona, people hold you to your persona. And so we actually, and so that's why I then talk about the mirror and studying the behavior of other people. And lo and behold, guess what? In America, we have what we now call Karens and kid, Kins, K-E-N. I don't know if you have that term. We've got in, Karens too. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's that's in that's just what you're talking about because yeah. they're they're inappropriately they're they're so whacked. Well, they think we're whacked, but I mean, whoever's whacked, that's what I'm saying. The tall, your tall poppy is not my tall poppy. Who's cutting who down for whatever reason? But we had to get a handle on these these people that are, we call them social warriors, justice people in America, but who who are just just cutting people down like the Hollywood movie star for doing some ex- expensive behavior, flying a jet and acting like they care about the environment. And mm. it's going to be this certain personality type. And it just happens there are a lot of Karens in America. Mm. And that's the female person that does it. And on the male side, then we call them, oh, well, it's just another kin. So if you say that, somebody, that's why I look when I do my tweeting, I'm looking for the Karens and the kins. And I say, well, this is just an example of a Karen gone wrong or something to try and put that emotional personality on that person so that the reader also understands what's going on. And that's what you just described because uh, we do need a handle on that group of people as well. So in in their own way, um, they're cutting the cutter down to a certain extent. There's, you know, they're not, they're, they're the final judge. That's why we call them the social justice warriors. Mm. They're, they're, they're the ones that are empowered to make the final decision. And, you know, we have a, I don't, I don't know about your government so much, but the original description of the tall poppy syndrome in both ancient Greece and, and in ancient Rome was the tall, was the government cutting down the populace, was the, they didn't want the opponents having a say and interfering with their policies. And I, I studied our, our government hard here, and we're supposed to be 
a really good democracy. But in the end, I felt in America that that the government was the biggest cutter of our population, mm. that they have so many departments, they have so much power, whether it's our internal revenue service, uh, whether it's our justice department, um, you know, our, our FBI are terrible at cutting other people down. So I didn't study your, your government. I studied um, Canada's government when I was doing my clinical studying of all of it. And Canada's government also is a huge cutter of their population to try and keep them all neutral. You know, they're very egalitarian too. Canada's more famous for, do you have the crabs in the bucket um, metaphor in your country? You know, you don't need to put a lid on a bucket because as the crabs crawl up, there's another crab wanting to pull them back down. So there's I, so this, I can't say I've heard the saying, no, no. So that's um, that's semi well known in America and in mm. Canada. There's a saying that um, they can always tell them an American crab in a bucket from from a Canadian because the American buckets have lids on them because we can crawl out of the out of the bucket, but the crab in Canada can't crawl out of the bucket because the other Canadians, the other Canadian crabs are always pulling them back in the bucket. So that has to do, you know, with their egalitarian society as well. And and it seems the government wants to, from my view from America, that the government wants to play sort of an active role in helping keep that country egalitarian. So I think they the government seems to have a reason to cut many of their tall poppies down. But I didn't study your government. But our, our government is really, I mean, we're just not as democratic as it's kind of like the Hollywood star of being the environmentalist. We're just not as democratic and our government is not as democratic as they think they are. They cut a lot of people down. Yeah. Now, Doug, you wrote a book, right? Um, the Tall Poppy Syndrome, uh, The Joy I, of Cutting Others Down, and that's available on Audible. I'm just having a look now. Now, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, is it free as the audiobook version? The audio is no longer free because I did a, um, oh, actually, I had it posted on Kindle, the electronic version, which was free. Okay, cool. And then, and then I published the book in January of this year, and I just did an audio. I just published the audio book this month. Yeah. So, of course, we can't give those free anymore. Okay. Uh, but, so now now that everything is completely done, but I, actually the, the electronic book I was trying to get uh, readers so that I could get review, hopefully good re- reviews, but hopefully good reviews on the book mm. so that, you know, that generates, then you can generate your own sales. And then once I got enough reviews, uh, then I published the book and, and uh, stopped the free e- e-version and, and then I eventually got the audio, the audio book done as well. Yeah, I just says free with audible trial, so maybe that's what well, it means. Well, it may still, you know, that I, I can't tell you for sure because 
I, I'm not that that involved on it. I'm sort of involved in it, but whatever it says on Amazon, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put the links to the book below. So if people want to listen, have a listen to Tall Poppy Syndrome, um, what do you what what do you talk about in the book mainly? Uh, the book actually is a world history lesson. It's it's really, uh, I mean, mo- most of the reviews talk about the history lesson of the world, and they enjoyed. Uh, I mean, my take of history is just so different than reading a history book. But it's really a history. I mean, I talk about England and all their kings, and you know, all the kingdom over there, Henry the Eighth. He cut every tall poppy down known to man. You know, they had the Tower of London. They cut. I mean, literally and figuratively, they cut over 700 people's heads off. So I take a very world view of the tall poppy syndrome, and I look at at the history, as I mentioned, when I went through the history of Socrates, and and I I mean, I'm fascinated with Roman history, so I did a little more on Caesar and his being tall poppy. But China, I did the first emperor, who's a fascinating character, Genghis Khan, who who united all of China, but Genghis Khan's rule was when he conquered a new village, um, if you were taller than the axe handle on the um, wheel, on the wheel, that you were going to get cut down. He didn't. He wanted a young, formative mind to think like he thought. So he he, he told Poppy half the population of China, but. He, he, he did so many good things. He stopped the warring nations. He had a legal system. He developed money system. So all that wasn't necessarily bad. But I, I, I mean, I look at all, I look at the Scandinavian countries and Holland, I, um, Australia, England, Canada, so some South America. So I go through kind of a worldview of the tall poppy syndrome and just how prominent it's been in, in the world. And most most people liked the history lesson and looking at it with a little different view than what you got in grade school or high school. Mm. So I think that was the that was probably the I mean just the concept of thinking about emotions was was uh, interesting for most people. And I think even in in Australia because Feather did it, but he didn't do it to the degree that I did it. He His emphasis was a little different. And he actually was doing it in the lab. I was actually doing, I was like the ladies that went to Africa to study apes. You know, I was as unbiased observer to the world view, seeing behavior of tall poppies in the world and how they behave and why they behave. And so that was that's just a different take on on the world and most most people felt that was very refreshing and kind of a a nice re- review of history from high school mm. and and the emotional study i think was very good and also tell, showing people that there's good and bad the emotions you think of just an emotion but you don't think of the positive versus negative side that's a very important concept and it's a very important concept in your own behavior and how you look at yourself so people hadn't really thought about that negative positive side of an of an emotion and 
how, how you behave to various things, the same emotion, but in a different way. So I think both of that was a good wake up call to a lot of people. And I got, you know, rightfully called out for that as well. Do you think if people read the book that having that awareness around what tall poppy syndrome is, that they're going to be better equipped to handle it? Like, is it kind of like inadvertently a self-help book, um, but is it an instruction manual on on how to better handle um, the cutter and to not stop being a tall poppy? Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, the best way to handle your enemy is to understand your enemy. Mm. I mean, so, you know, that's the, you know, hit their weak, weak spot. Everybody has a weakness. Mm. So if you understand their behavior, um, then uh, you'll understand how to handle them or manage them. We had a, we had a period in the nineties where we emotional intelligence was running rampant and we felt it was more important than an IQ. So when we were talking about how to be a good CEO or how to improve yourself, there was a small movement in America in the 90s to really understand emotional intelligence. And we felt in the companies and some people felt that was the most important aspect of running a company, for example. I, I actually agree with them. But that message with time, you know, that fad is kind of faded and I'm trying to reignite it again. So I can tell you how I'm also kind of playing with it right now. I'm toying with the idea of views. I, I had two examples in my book from the Bible. So I, I did the worldview. I stayed away from the Bible just because Christianity sometimes turns people off and I didn't want to turn anybody off. Mm. But um, last year there was in America, there was a, in Christianity, there was a YouTube sort of thing of reading the Bible and it was driven by the Bible study, which is a very prominent um, app in America right now. And it's very clever. They have somebody with all the, you know, they're talking and all the drawing and everything is going up while you're doing it. It's fascinating. And in 15 minutes, it gives you what the book that you're going to read is all about. So you have a feel for the Bible. So I was part of that. And lo and behold, now, you know, when you're a hammer, the world looks like a nail. So my, my hammer is the tall poppy syndrome. So when I look when I looked at the the Bible, almost everybody, Moses was tall poppy. I mean, I use Cain and Abel in the book, the familial envy. Uh, you know, one killed the other. I mean, when you think about Adam and Eve, God really tall poppied Adam and Eve uh, for their egregious behavior. Um, so, uh, I'm, I mean, um, David was, you know, one of the most wonderful figures in the Bible, but he was tall poppy by Saul, who was the previous king. And then he was jealous of a guy and took his wife and eventually had that gentleman killed. So I felt the, um, Bible 
And the Bible's also interesting because the Bible, the biblical people are larger than life characters. They all are all tall poppies, but there's almost none of them escaped the tall poppy syndrome. I don't know of any of them that escaped it. Mm. And But just because you have it, it sometimes makes you a better person, which will hold that thought. So um, I, I'm toying with an idea now of, of uh, doing the tall poppies and the seven deadly sins because the, the seven deadly sins was actually a Catholic um, thing. It was by a pope in the fourth century. He was controlling how to control, and this is kind of ironic. Um, he wanted to control the monks in the monasteries and give them some guidelines. And that's where the seven deadly sins came from. And now they have a different content. They weren't called the seven deadly sins. It's now a different connotation. But that's where those seven emotions came from. And, of course, in religion, the it's not that they don't look at an emotion good and bad like I do or the psychologist does. They look at it, the emotion as a negative, bad emotion. But then you have a corresponding virtue. Mm. So that's that's kind of like looking at your enemies. So you see, see the the bad part about them and the how to handle them is the virtuous response. So that that's how if you know your enemy and you know what emotion it is, then then you would know which how what virtue to use to be able to neutralize them. So that's actually um, my understanding. Uh, the emotional makeup of people, that's actually how you handle it, and that's how I actually look at the Bible. But the important thing about the Bible, it brings a new, if you look at it then under the tall poppy syndrome and the emotional makeup, the emotional makeup of the people at the time and the characters, then all of a sudden the Bible becomes alive again, kind of like my world history tour. Mm. So I'm sort of taking, taking... Uh, maybe that might be my next book. But one one thing on just because you taught were tall poppy, and for me it turned out to be an extremely positive thing. My wife and I had a good time. We enjoyed our time in L.A., which is not easy to enjoy in L.A. because of the traffic, but because mm-hmm. I took we took Fridays off, and I enjoyed my private practice way way more than I ever enjoyed it. It was work before, but now I had freed myself of of being at the rehabilitation center and being in that fight to compete and to publish articles. So there was a newfound freedom that I had in enjoying taking care of my private patients more. But you can look at Steve Jobs. Are you still involved in orthopedic surgery? Like surgery? Like, do you still have a hand in it at all? No, no, I'm done. I only, I only think and write, read and write now. I just watch the world pass by and and study the world and uh, read a lot. Yeah. But I, one one point, I mean, just so I think. Well, I really grew doing the book. Anytime you spend five or ten years and have a book with six hundred citations, you're going to have you're going to grow as a person. Mm. I don't think people need to do that to become a tall poppy. They just need to serve other people. But mm. but I certainly grew. But. If you take, for example, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, you know, he told Poppy, his partner, Steve Wozniak, and he eventually lost the job of the CEO, the board of directors, uh, removed him. He kind of was a, um, 
he had kind of a sociopathic personality. He was very, he was kind of a big bully in, in many ways. But anyway, he, um, he, he lost the job. But, you know, what he did after that, he found, built next um, two other companies in the meantime. And then he came back to Apple. Then after he, he did Pixar was one of them. And then uh, it's not Square, but he, he did another similar company to Apple. And then he came back to Apple and became this this really big-time CEO. So, mm. you know, for him personally, he did probably do some self-reflection and view things differently. Anytime you get cut down, uh, even myself, uh, even though I did, didn't think I did any egregious behavior, still causes this self-reflection and review, am I doing something wrong even? So you have to ask that question whether you are or not. Maybe it was a Karen or a Ken. Hmm. So you may not have done anything wrong, but it's good to self-reflect. So just because you could get, and, and actually every, in my in my chapter of, of tall poppies, every tall poppy was cut down big time and they all survived it. And most of them, uh, their activity wasn't egregious. Their activity was just different Mm. Then what the kind of what you were talking about, what the public wanted them to do or what they wanted them to think like. Mm. And so when they were thinking out of the box, they were cut down, but they eventually persisted in that thinking out of the box. And even though they were cut down, they eventually were rewarded for it. So yeah. every, every one of my tall puppies was cut down. Yeah. So the book would be interesting to have a read there, guys. So um, get yourself a copy of the book. And he goes into more case studies around, like there's Australians that he's actually put in that book too, where he talks about how and why they were cut down. And, you know, I think the underlying message here is that, you know, if you want something, go after it. People are going to want to cut you down anyway. But after a while with persistence, people start to see you as an authority in that space and eventually they kind of, they kind of just shut up and start to respect you. But it's a bit of a process to get there. And unfortunately, our greatness triggers people's insecurities. So, look, don't stop anyway and just go for it. Um, Doug, do you have any sort of parting advice for a tall poppy? No. Well, he, you know, the opposite of... of um pride is humility so i think it's always good to to be humble so that that's my advice to every tall poppy to, to i mean i said how to be a, a tall poppy but i mean if you are tall so for example my ceo of the of the company i mean i had trained under him so he knew me front and backwards and he the only time he ever talked to me was to come down to the ward which would be every two or three months. And he would come to one of my conferences, sit through it, see how, you know, evaluate things. But he would come up at the end and just say, how can I help you? Is there anything you need? So I think that's how you be a tall puppy really is help people underneath you, mm. uh, help people that aren't under your control even. So, mm. you know, your neighbor, anybody. So I, I think uh, humility, gratitude, and servitude, that's the best way to be a tall puppy and to maintain being a tall puppy. Mm. And, but you're right in what you said. It's, it's with, if, if you're on the right path, if you've chosen the right path, uh, there's going to be bumps along the way. But soon 
not necessarily your haters, but soon they'll figure out you're right and you'll have their respect instead of their bad envy. Mm, so, yeah. It, nice. It's never, never, never give up on the right path. Yeah, yeah. And Doug, what do you what do you enjoy doing in your spare time outside of your research? Oh, I do a lot of gardening. I uh, a lot of gardening. I, I this is kind of funny. I as a physician, I kind of used to say I get tired of hearing patients complain. I mean, I have to complain to tell you what's wrong. And uh, and I always wanted to take care of plants because they didn't talk. <laughs> and and so when I so when I quit taking care of patients, I started taking care of plants. And the problem with the plant is when they do get sick, they don't talk. So it's very difficult to figure out what's wrong when somebody's not directing you to say, hey, you're watering me too much, or hey, I'm thirsty, I need water. So it's been a funny transition, but I, I really enjoy uh, taking plants. And I actually took a course from um, University of California, and I'm now labeled a master gardener. So uh, they blessed me by taking a major course in it and learning how to diagnose plant problems and diseases and insects and those things. So it's been a good trip and it was a good balance to get, get my head away from the tall puppy syndrome. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. I think it's important. Everyone has a bit of a, a down downtime hobby, something less technical than what they do on a day-to-day basis. It just balances, balances everything out, but you don't do things by halves. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's fun to. I mean, I grew up in in Iowa, which is our farm belt, and we had a huge garden uh, growing up. And there's nothing better than growing your own food. So, I love to grow vegetables and and take them from the garden straight to the kitchen mm. and eat them. So that that's very very satisfying. If you ever have uh, the opportunity yeah, to do that. It tastes a difference too in the fruit and veg. It's amazing. All right, Doug, I think we'll leave it there. It's, um, we've tipped over an hour. Um, I'll leave your links below. So you've got a website and then obviously a link to the book too. And do you want me to send you an audio now that I have it? Um, you can, yeah. So we'll sort that out. Yeah, not a problem. No, I want to. No, I want to. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be good for people to learn more about this because it is such a big thing in the country and, you know, it, we don't want it to be a thing that stops someone from succeeding and I want anyone listening to the podcast to want to get better and do better and be better but to realise that there are going to be, like you said, bumps along the way. It's That's just life. When we're dealing with society, we're dealing with, you know, really old ways of thinking that are still prevalent till today and people, you know, Society has definitely sort of shaped and evolved, but, you know, there's still that undercurrent of old school thinking. So um, people can only do their best to try and achieve in life and to realise that it's not smooth sailing. It will never be smooth sailing. Um, Look, Doug, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. All the best with your continued research. Thanks for your time today. It's been really good. It's been informative. I wouldn't mind getting my hands on one of those audio books as well and having a a proper listen to all the citations. Okay, will do. 